I'm grateful to be here this morning, and especially uh, on this occasion of Stu's memorial. Uh, if you, um, I met Stu a few years back um, when we interviewed him for, for the uh, program, and he's a quiet and unassuming guy. And uh, just, so if you would have told him about a year or even six months ago that we would have a, uh, an occasion like this with everybody here, he would have never believed you. He would have kind of looked at you dumbfounded and says, no, I, I don't deserve that. Because that was, that was too. He didn't, he always said, I don't deserve that. He was, he was a humble guy and, and I'm glad that we took some time to uh, remember Stu uh, in chapel. So this morning we are going to continue with our series on John, uh, Love One Another. And I see I'm just going to, oh yes, it's, it's working, okay, good. Um, so before I do that, before we open the scriptures and before we start talking a little bit about that, let's, let me just pray. Lord, we, we come to you and we are so grateful. We are so grateful that um, we can come together. And Lord, just we ask that uh, you give me clarity of speech and be with uh, those who are listening. And Lord, just open their hearts and minds as well so that uh, the words that you uh, are giving me uh, bear fruit. And so Lord, just uh, give us a good chapel together. In your name we pray, amen. So, Theology has always been thought of as some kind of elitist uh, discipline, all right, where uh, a bunch of white, old white men are sitting around a table and, and discussing the finer things of what's supposed to be a simple faith. And sometimes um, that's true, but when we look at the Bible, we look at, at John, for instance, we understand that he is an incredible theologian. And you only have to look at the prologue in his gospel to understand uh, his, his uh, theological acumen. And also in the book of, of John, his epistle, that we find is deeply theological. The thing is, however, that theology is not done for its own sake. And, and John understood that. And it's probably the most important thing. When we do theology, it's not for its own sake. The question is always, now what? Or so what? Or how should we then live, as Francis Schaeffer would say? Uh, it's important that we connect the theology with the day-to-day -day living. And that is what John is doing here. And it's... And it's easier to talk about the abstract the theological proposition that the Bible gives us. It's totally another thing to kind of talk about the effects it should have on our lives. How should we then live in light of that? So we are going to look at the implications of John's a statement that God is love. So the epistle was written by the Apostle John, the writer of the fourth gospel. And when we read this epistle, we hear the echoes of the gospel throughout it. It's ironic, though, that the epistle of love is written by John, 
who in his teenage years, when he was walking with Jesus, wanted to call fire from heaven and to rain on Samaritan village because they didn't welcome Jesus. He was called a son of thunder for a reason. So you know the story. At the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into, Samarit- into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire, from, fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. These sons of thunder had some growing up to do. And by the time John was writing the gospel or the epistle, he was older and a whole lot wiser. And his character, his fiery character, was somewhat tempered. The son of thunder had changed dramatically. And in this passage for today, John lays bare the heart, the very heart of God. And he could do that because he spent three years with the one who embodied the heart of God. So we see a common theme throughout this epistle. And that is God's love for us. And so, as already mentioned in this series, John repeats himself over and over again. But the essential character of God's, of God's love is worth repeating. So we can talk about the love of God at great length, but how difficult is it to talk about loving our brothers and sisters? The implication of God's love. I don't know about you, but this hits home. So look at the, but let's look at this passage for today. Let's see if this works. Oh, yes. So starting at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. And Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the, in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. 
And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So the, course, the first question we must ask ourselves is, who are these brothers and sisters that we are supposed to love? And the second question is, what does this love look like? So let's address this first question. First, remember Jesus' own words when he was told that his mother and brothers and sister were standing outside waiting for him. He asked the rhetorical question, who is my mother and who are my brothers and sisters? And he answered his own question by saying, those who do the will of my father are my brothers and sisters. And so in other words, the brothers and sisters that Jesus was talking about and John was talking about are our fellow believers. And so, and then we have to ask ourselves, okay, what does this love look like? What does this practically look like? So John begins his passage by reminding his audience what Christ's love, and in the same breath, explaining what that means for us. He never skips a beat. Here, John recalls Jesus' words he wrote down in his gospel. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so not only for John is this the central point of, of the gospel, of working out the essential attribute of God, but for Jesus it was as well. And so Jesus is the greatest example of this true love. And John says, as Jesus laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our life for others. And we are called to do the same. This is countercultural. This is shocking. And we ask ourselves, how is this even possible? How can we even do this? I don't know about you. But talking about the love of God is well and good, but now how do I love others and sacrificially? This goes right against the grain. I like to be loved, but the giving the back part I might have a problem with. God gives unconditionally and sacrificially and we are called to do likewise. Notice John does not say we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters who, who really like us and who are our friends. No, lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, period. There is no favoritism. We are to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters without considering whether we get anything back or get anything out of this, whether this be recognition or maybe we get a wing named after us, this is not the point. We are to love one another sacrificially without being praised for it. John doesn't mention any rewards in this passage at all. We are to give quietly of ourselves sacrificially. 
And Jesus calls us to love as exemplified in the Gospel of Matthew. We know the story well. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Naked, you clothed me. In prison, and you came to visit me. And Jesus said, if you do it to the least of these, you did it for me. We are to help those who Jesus calls the least of these. Now, this community, this prairie community, has embraced the brothers and sisters in both Bowdoin and Drumheller and have accepted them as their own and have shown Christ-like love to the least of these. And Stu was a case in point. And he recognized the love he received in his last months, weeks, and even days and hours. And just this is what John talks about. And this is Christianity with boots on. We all like stuff. We work for stuff. We are proud of our stuff. There is essentially nothing wrong with stuff. But John's point is not to hang on too tightly into our stuff. The sacrificial giving involves stuff as well. And John states, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Nothing has changed over the centuries. And hear what Basil of Caesarea is saying. Tell me, do you really seek riches and financial gain from the destitute? If this person has the resources to make you even wealthier, why did he come begging to your door? He came seeking an ally, but found an enemy. He came seeking medicine and stumbled into, onto poison. Though you have an obligation to remedy the poverty of someone like this, instead you increase the need, seeking a harvest from the desert. And again, Basil says, Is not the person who strips another of clothing called a thief? And those who do not clothe the naked when they have the power to do so, should they not be called the same? The bread you're holding back is for the hungry. The clothes you keep put away are for the naked. The shoes that are rotting away with disuse are, the, are for those who have none. The silver you keep buried in the earth is for the needy. But we often be like this guy. We like to hang on to our stuff. We like to collect stuff. And when we have enough stuff, we still keep on hanging on to it till it rots away and it goes to the landfill without considering 
Who is actually in need? Who could actually use this extra pair of shoes or these extra shirts? Good thing we got the Tilly here in town. So John is very explicit and direct in telling us how to love others. We are to love others in tangible ways, not just with words. We are to love others with actions and in truth. What does John mean when he says to love others in truth? Our actions must be consistent with the truth of the gospel. Or in other words, our actions must be grounded in the truth of Christ or grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. We often fall into the temptation of doing a lot of good for the wrong reasons. We pat ourselves on the back, and we think we are not all that bad. God must be pretty pleased with us. But there are also those who sincerely love others but doubt whether they are indeed belong to the truth. And John is so aware of our shortcomings and assures us and gives immediately a comforting word of how we know that we are actually in the truth. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. These verses are interpreted differently by some uh, different commentators. For example, John Calvin and Martin Lloyd-Jones interpret these verses in a negative sense in an admonition to those who do not love others through actions, but only through words. On the other hand, there are those who interpret these verses as a comfort to believers and emphasize the assurance that they indeed live in the truth. As it has been said, one interpretation is to comfort disturbed hearts, and the other interpretation is disturbs the comfortable hearts. So I lean more toward the latter, if we know John at all, and we see his character shining through in his epistle. We know that John is more on the comforting side. John here assures us. John knows that our hearts can condemn us because we struggle with sin. But there is the comforting part. God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Assurance is not contingent on our subjective feelings. God is bigger than that. There is no condemnation when we practice what we preach. When we, live, when we love in tangible ways. We can have confidence that we act according to the truth or act according to how God wants us to act. 
And sometimes our acts are flawed and we feel unsure about our own actions. And God knows our hearts and he knows everything. And God recognizes that our flawed, inadequate attempts to love others are genuine acts of faith and love. There are many reasons why even our best acts may have us leave us feeling unsettled, unsure, and even confused inside. But a heart that constantly accuses us of disappointing God will erode our, our resolve to love. And it will keep us from enjoying our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Trust God's knowledge of how His Spirit has transformed us and continues to do so throughout our lives, even when our own spirit grows weak. And John is clear that the path to assurance in self-doubt is to trust in God. So the next clause makes it seem that if we love God with our actions, we can ask God anything and he will grant it. It seems there is an award attached to this, a kind of quid pro quo. We have to take this clause, of course, in its entire context. It says, and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The obedient response of loving others and the realization that any self-doubt can be silenced by trusting God who knows us better than we know ourselves lead to greater spiritual maturity and understanding of God's will. We receive from God when we keep his commands, which is believing in the name of of Jesus Christ, and to love one another. Or in other words, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. We can ask God for anything and he will do it. And Jesus said to his followers, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. In John 14, 14. But John qualifies this in the next verse, by stating that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. When we accept this truth that God lives in us and we in him, and this alignment of the will of God and our will comes from the Holy Spirit, our great comforter. In all, it is not about us, ultimately. Because the question that we asked before, how can we do this? How can we love sacrificially 
How can we love our brothers and sisters as we should, as is commanded by Jesus? We scratch our heads and say, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot muster in this life a sacrificial giving on our own strength. This doesn't come naturally. If it were up to us, we live according to this. Those are the rules according to the world. But a life that is required from us is lived in the power of the Spirit. Living in obedience to God is only possible in the power of the Spirit. We love one another sacrificially in the power of the Spirit. We are assured that we live in the truth in the power of the Spirit. Again, we cannot pat ourselves on the back. But ultimately, we must give glory to him who lives in and through us. In some, we live to the glory of the Father, through the Son, and by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit changes our lives from the inside out. And we have the privilege to see this close up in our brother Stu and in other inmates. We see the power of the Spirit at work in these fellows. We see God transforming them from the life they lived before to the life they're living now. And that is how God sees them. And that is how God sees Stu. He doesn't see Stu as he was. He sees him as he is through the power of the Spirit. And so we can live in the assurance that God lives in and through us, and so we can live sacrificially. We can love our brothers and sisters sacrificially, only in his power. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit. We are grateful that you live in and through us, and so we are able to live the life that you call us to live. Lord, we thank you for who, what you have done, for who you are, and we thank you for what we have become. So, Lord, we ask you now to be with us the remainder of this day, living under the assurance and that, you, that we are not living in our own strength, but we are living by your power. In your name we pray. Amen.